So welcome all to the AO podcast series. Over the next few weeks, we'll be really delving into the realm of protest fashion and talking about people's identities, how that relates to their fashion and their own personal protest, and then how this translates to the masses, considering subcultures and their place in today's modern online society. Mm. So to kickstart this series, (laughs) we're going straight into the theme of identity and Mm. how this relates to social rules, social norms and our own personal protest against these. So let's begin with Mm. finding out how you guys actually identify yourselves. Do you think other people perceive you the way you want them to? Or are you even bothered about how other people perceive you? Mm. So such a tough question. I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the easiest question. You have to pause and think, okay, so what is my identity? I think, you know, the sort of basic structures that form your identity of the, you know, colour, age, sex, whatever, religion. But for me, as I've gotten older, I think it, it's just changed. I'm talking about my identity, obviously. And also the the sort of importance that I place on morals and values and beliefs, my views on politics, economics, et, you know, et cetera, all those things actually mean a lot more to me than the more superficial layers of my identity, my personal Mm -hmm. identity. To be fair, I don't really care. As I've gotten older, I don't care what people think about me. I really, really don't. And it's incredibly liberating. It's incredibly empowering. And I think that's that's just how I kind of live my life. It's just through being able to express myself in the most freest and sort of liberal way possible without Mm -hmm. being sort of tied down to my personal identity and how people are going to perceive me. But I mean, is that the same for everyone else? Or how does everyone else sort of feel when it comes to how people sort of judge and perceive you or sort of how you then communicate what you want people to perceive about yourself? No, it's quite, I think how you said how it's constraining. Mm -hmm. I think the even regardless of if you give, you know, any damn about what people think of you or not people still do think of you in a certain way and then they will not judge but kind of interact with you accordingly of how they think and I feel that that is a really it's a massive limitation because even if you know you give off kind of a certain vibe per se of how you think you are but if people kind of interpret that differently then they will then judge you accordingly from that and Mm. I think that is it's limiting because I don't know for example so take me you're like fairly well spoken Mm. people instantly kind of assume that you come from a A certain background background, you have that upbringing you have that lifestyle and then you know based on where you live and it's like oh okay you're you're that sort of person Mm. but you're Mm. not Mm. and that's not who you are and it's hard to move on from that So how would you define who you are? How would you sort of, how do you see yourself? If those things that people obviously pick up on or perceive you as sort of coming from a certain place, Mm -hmm. if that's not what you want to Mm -hmm. be necessarily identified by, what is it that you prefer for people to sort of of see you? Yeah, yeah, see me as, I guess as someone, okay, so 
you know, someone who studies at a fashion uni mm. and is also, you know, blonde as well. Mm. You said, as same with Ellie here. Yeah. People <laughs> in <laughs> too blonde studying fashion. What, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah. I get quite offended and affronted mm. when people assume that you're a bit shallow or that okay. you're not that clever. Okay. As soon as they kind of hear the words LCF, they kind of almost shut down because they're right. like, oh, okay, you're that sort of girl. Yeah. I can say this for both of us, you know, we're not. We are educated. Mm. We are mm. clued up on so many things <laughs> in this world. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's it. That kind of assumption. And it's hard to break through that because you also feel like, why should I be justifying myself? Why should I be telling you, oh no, this is who I am? Again, it, it's like, if you don't really care, then you don't don't even yeah. feel the need to do that. Yeah, it's How so interesting you? Yeah. you say that because now you've said it, I think the other one that, one of the first questions someone asks you is where are you from? And really I am from Essex, but you know what, I don't ever say that. I same. always say same, Cambridge same, same. because interesting. Okay. there's such a assumption and a stereotype mm-hmm. around that. It's interesting because my mum's side of the family have lived there for years and obviously I think what Essex was in their day is not the same as now and so before there was you you know you said Essex and you just thought agriculture really it was like a huge Mm. area for growing wheat you didn't get any of the stuff that you get now that I think is kind of connected to what Tamara was saying but I think that's been more thought about recently because I saw it on this morning recently and Mm. discussing should that stereotype be broken down I think it is but then it's one of those things where you you've also got to think you know, you might not conform or be part of that stereotype. Mm. It exists for a reason. You kind of, as much as you don't want to be part of it, you can't ignore the fact that there are people out there like that and they have constructed it. At the same time, I can understand where the assumptions have come from. And I think perhaps it's more on the people that have created it to fix it than the people that assume you're like that. And then, you know, thinking about, again, how if we care what other people think of us as well, I I often think of myself as like very uncaring being like I you know I don't I don't care what you think of me like I know who I am but then at the same time I'm contradicting myself because I'm not telling people I'm from Essex because I don't want them to think of me as like an Essex girl. Is there a reason why? I mean no disrespect to obviously anyone who does come from Essex we love Essex we love people from Essex but I mean it's interesting what you say explain a little bit why you don't want people to have that assumption. Because again it's the whole shallow uh, yeah it's the whole shallow the uneducated it's Sexually promiscuous is the the dictionary (laughs) definition. (laughs) That is what the Oxford Dictionary says. No way. Yeah, it is. Because they've said it. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Well, and I'm not Catholic. That's what's so ironic (laughs) about it. It's like, guys, seriously. Okay, okay. Interesting. So, so you just try to, in a way, deviate from. Yeah, I don't want to be. Mm. You don't want to be part of that. And then it's which Mm. kind of you know um, areas are deemed good which are deemed bad and it's kind of regardless of if we care or not there are you know and you can't deny it there are good places to come from there are good areas to live good things to go to and there are not so good places to come from and it's hard to I think because it's so widely not normal per se but just kind of accepted that even if you want to not care about it kind of brought up from that like early age to care about it like if someone is from this area 
that's not a good area and mm. therefore they are that kind of person. Do you know why though? I think it's because obviously the world is becoming incredibly competitive and I think it's because we all want to try and strive ahead. Mm. We all want to try and get ahead of the, the, the person next to us and mm. I think the the more it's important for us to obviously wear the the right hat mm-hmm. and be perceived to have come from the right background in order to get ahead. What that for me does is that it creates later on in years, you you end up sort of questioning or you do sort of self reevaluation and you think, okay, but that's not who I am. And that's pretty much the stage I'm at. Not that I felt necessarily that I've had to sort of change or sort of hide where it is that I've come from or who I am. But it's more about, well, actually, now I'm just incredibly comfortable and I almost celebrate what it is that I'm communicating to the rest of the world. And I don't feel that I need to communicate my social class. I don't feel I need to communicate where I'm from in order to get ahead. I just feel as though accept me for who I am. In a way, it, that's a form of protest because yeah, you're not. You're, you know, it's like in your day-to-day life, you're kind of just passively going against kind of Absolutely. social norm. But then also kind of that poses a question, do people actively go against these social norms? Like, for example, I know it's so, so tiny, but <laughs> everyone assumes, you know, Londoners aren't happy. No right. one's very nice. I actively <laughs> smile at people on the tube. I'm like that person oh, that's like, oh, hi, good morning. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so, I just like, just so don't want to be right. that angry Londoner. I'm like, that's not me. I'm not, I mean, I'm never like angry and depressed. I feel like my observation on this is, I guess from where I'm from, like obviously like in New York or America, I feel like in England, a lot of my friends here are not like proud of where they're from or like, they'll be like, I'm not from this town. I'm from here. Like we have a friend that's from up north and they won't say they're from this town, but they'll be like, oh, I'm from Manchester or like, instead of saying I'm from insert small town that if I say she'll know who I'm talking about. But like, and I think that it's weird because I feel like a lot of my English friends here, what they're born into is what they feel like they have to settle for. Whereas back home, if you're from the Bronx or from like Park Avenue, we like wear it proudly. And I think that, um, I don't know, it's always something that I never thought about until I came here. Like I never knew anyone that was unhappy with where they came from back home. Like obviously, like especially Queens where it's just like a melting pot for like immigrants and like minorities. It was, um, I don't know, even they came from nothing and they were still like completely proud of where they're from whereas like here in new york you well not just new york like america yeah you celebrate where you are now yeah you celebrate the present version of yourself whereas i think very much in the uk it's you know yeah you're celebrated where you are now but it's also judged upon where you know yeah, where yeah. It's the effects of the where class system. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, and we absolutely. definitely still feel yeah. the victims. Yeah, I do they feel say they're diminished. Like yeah. London in specific or like most cities in the UK have this very strong class system that back home I don't feel like. Like, for example, there's a really good documentary called Park Avenue or something. And it talks about how like you've got Park Avenue, which is home to the most billionaires in the world. This one avenue, but if you go all the way down to Harlem, it's like the poorest part of New York. We don't have that solid divide of like rich and poor. Whereas in the UK or in London, you can tell like this area is very wealthy take the train one stop it's very poor yeah. and I think that that's something that doesn't really help the whole like mashing that stereotype and like making people comfortable which is something I think it can make you feel very um like isolated in London where mm. you'll feel like a certain area is not you and I think it's really hard for people mm-hmm. I guess I'm not sure about you guys but like being international it was really hard to find like your place in London mm-hmm. um whereas in 
New York, I know that like we would have like typical like Soho kids that were like growing up in like penthouses, hanging out with kids like us that were just from Queens, and yeah, like. And I feel like in no, London, that's not London, how it is. You, you hang around with you know your your niche, yeah, your kind of your mm. people, and if and even if you go to different areas and you're not from that area, and that area is not you know the people there are not you know who you would hang around with you do not fit in like there's such divide postcode envy everything like that and it's ridiculous it's such a small area there is so much stigma about you know your location and how that relates to your identity and I mean you see it on things like BuzzFeed all the time on Facebook and it's like you know the people summed up in like each area in London and it's like I saw one of them and they kind of just did like heat areas like Peckham Brixton Clapham like West London yeah. And they literally just completely stereotyped each oh, kind of gosh. person from each place, and it was like Clapham. These are like like a rugby lad, and then a girl with like a big jumper on. They're just here for a good time. And then they said West London, and then it was awful, and it was like holding Aperol spritz, probably with like a bit of white underneath their nose.
back at you in some way and you realise how they Mm -hmm. perceive you. Mm -hmm. That's been quite a shock. It's not something I have particularly thought about. And Mm -hmm. when it's been raised, I usually say, people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from London. I'm actually from Cornwall. But a surprising (laughs) number of people don't know where that is and it just saves time. Yeah, Um, exactly. So it's just easier. So I just get London. And uh, yeah, but then it's it suddenly sort of came up when I went to university, Mm. fashion uni kind of quite high pressured, Mm. like you said, getting very competitive. And I was told to go back to the country where I belonged. Oh boy. And it was just like, wow, I didn't know I belonged because I wasn't, you know, from London and that kind of got thrown back at you because and also because I wasn't kind of into the very competitive side of it. I kind of wouldn't engage with that. So that's a strength though. Yeah, definitely. I I think if you're so focused on getting to the front of the queue you kind of forget what the thing at the front of the queue is that everybody's fighting for if that yeah. makes sense and by the time yeah. you get to the yeah. front of the queue yeah. it probably wasn't the thing yeah. that you wanted yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. it doesn't yeah. look the way exactly. yeah but then yeah. with these groups and identities mm. I mean are there any that you because obviously like Matthew you said kind of you know who you aspire to be are there groups that you aspire to be into and you aspire to be associated with are there any positive sides to not you know stereotypes mm. I, don't know. Oh, I think gosh. like like-minded people really yeah. those yeah. that kind of have the same importance or show the same importance the sort of values or shared values that you have mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much that's it it doesn't matter who you are like mm-hmm. where you come from what age you are what gender you are just as long as we sort of we gravitate along the same level uh, you mm-hmm. know that that's pretty much how I'd like to be sort of uh, that's how I would conduct my sort of social surroundings but again I find it quite interesting how people are also very geared towards strategic liaisons with people they like to be associated mm-hmm. as you quite rightly said Mm -hmm. with either a person or with Mm -hmm. either group of people because it makes them it reflects better upon Mm -hmm. them very interesting you know you see it you acknowledge it I mean I don't want to judge it at the same time I kind of realize that that's another key a key way of people sort of entering into groups that Mm -hmm. they want to be associated with Mm. I think it's just to get ahead because again I mean the groups and they're not tangible if you kind of fly through life on your associations with things and that's how you get kind of self-gratification upon what you are labeled as and what you are attached to you know do you really ever actually achieve things or not achieve things but like if you strip away that then how do you really identify yourself if it's purely with your kind of affiliations absolutely that's where I think people often end up in problems they spend so much time and they concentrate so much on efforts that are geared towards obviously them aspiring towards being something that they're not that they forget who they are Mm -hmm. truly and they get lost and then they go through identity crisis you know well the thing is though I mean identity crisis like it's like a thing now for early 20s it's like your quarter life crisis I'm like I've seen so many things with that hashtag so many things quarter life crisis like the early 20s they say now I was reading some sort of study and I can't remember what but they were saying that's the age which people get so confused with life you know kind of historically it's been like you grow up you do something you know you get a job get some money and this is how you go through life but then with these I think people are questioning Mm. why is that the norm you know Mm. why is that the social norm Mm. why can't I do these other things and then therefore you get kind of caught it's a bit like a catch-22 you want to break away from that okay but then now I've got this endless possibility what (laughs) where do I go from here people are doing it early Mm. because yeah yeah I think there's definitely going to be people that still you know leave school 16 18 go into full-time employment and then Mm -hmm. by the time they get to 40 they're like where is 
that thing in my life mm. and mm. that's when the sports car comes in but <laughs> I think people are realising now that they don't want to get to 40 and do it I think mm. it is almost I kind of see the quarter life crisis as a positive thing weirdly yeah. because mm-hmm. it's like everybody at some point is going to have to figure out a little bit of who are you what do you want otherwise you're going to get in a conflict and it's like if you can figure that out in kind of a safe zone where you're still an adolescent mm. I guess society still gives you a bit more permission to make mistakes yeah. do you know what I mean yeah maybe that is a little bit better than waiting till 40 or 50 absolutely because then yeah because that's then where the sports cars coming because yeah. all you've yeah. got to do to express yourself is all that money you've yeah. earned doing what you yeah. hate mm-hmm. this is my this is this is my gripe with society it's like we need to start sort of encouraging people to sort of aspire towards a normal some sort of like mediocre level Mm -hmm. where they forget actually their unique and innit abilities to actually supersede and become incredibly successful in their own rights Mm -hmm. you know using their own sort of you know resources etc that for me is a healthier outlook and I just don't understand why the schools why education doesn't promote that it promotes you know, pigeonholing, it promotes, you know, jobs that come in very sort of rigid packages Mm -hmm, and boxes. mm -hmm. That's what it promotes. And so, yeah, the quarter life crisis happens when people literally do wake up. They say, actually, you know, that's not me. That's not what I want to aspire towards. Mm -hmm. Yes, it makes sense. Yes, parents want me to do this because, you know, whatever it will secure, whatever future, Mm -hmm. but that it won't make me happy yeah and I just kind of feel like it's society that's creating this sort of norm this social construct which stops people from actually reflecting and saying no this is what I want this is who I am and this is what I'm going to achieve Mm -hmm. and this is how I'm going to get it I think like this sort of younger generation Mm. which I'm still just about creeping into It's kind of lucky in a way because, like, for my parents, you had a very set idea of what you did. You finished school, you went to university or got a job, then you got married, bought a house, had X, Y and Z kids and then got to, like, 55 and had a monstrous freak out. (laughs) Um, Whereas, like, for, like, us, with economics dictates that a lot of us are not going to have those things. The house might actually be a pipe dream. You're going to be renting forever and stuff. And that, you know, that's quite difficult because for your parents, that's kind of how they brought you up. That's not going to happen now. So you're kind of in a bit of limbo of, well, what do I do? Because everything I grew up thinking was going to happen mm-hmm. is not going to happen. Yeah. But at the same time, like do, sort of quarter-life like, crisis. Is that, crisis? Is yeah, that yeah. kind of life that so set out mm-hmm. for you and so mm-hmm. set out for everyone and been like, you get your job, you get a promotion at 30, you get married and yeah. you have some kids at 35. And it's just like, now we've do, got, do you really care? Yeah. Like, is that really... Yeah, yeah now we've got the opportunity yeah. to change things to much earlier, kind of to think norms. I'm just going to walk out of my job and I'm going to go this, I'm going to go yeah. travelling, I'm yeah. going to do that. And yeah. you're not confined to that anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, yeah, I mean, there are there are some negatives do you then, to it. But I think mostly it's a positive thing because you get to sort of not reinvent yourself, yeah. but change your life how mm-hmm. you need to mm-hmm. without having that kind of pressure of that's what you do. Mm-hmm. That is a form of protest. Yeah. And I think that's what makes that moment in your life so incredibly valuable because you do start to sort of think actually this is not what I want yeah Mm. this is what I want yeah I think the only thing about being in my 30s is Mm. I'm high five (laughs) (laughs) I say in my 30s I'm actually creeping out of my 30s I suppose I'm in the slightly bit of limbo that Mm. we you know did get much more drummed in about 
that's how your life is going to go. And not necessarily wanting that, yeah. but kind of not really thinking about it. And now, you know, jobs change, jobs are not guaranteed anymore. Yeah. You know, I've lost my job before. And then not really knowing what to do because the previous generation have not really experienced mm. that. I think almost that whole kind of turning 50, not really knowing and being like, actually, I'm going to now do what I want to do. And it's become so... And that's become a social norm. A friend of mine was saying a while ago now, and he said it completely as a joke, but he was like, oh, I'm just going to kind of do like, he's at a good uni now, he's like, going to do a city job. (laughs) He was like, going to do a city job, but then when I turn like 50, I'm just going to quit it all and then just start a hotel. And then we were joking how, you know, he's going to be like, the equivalent of like the W hotels, like all down like (laughs) east coast of England. (laughs) And then um, then I I kind of jokingly said after, and I was like, well, if that's what you want to do, like, do it now. Do it. Go into yeah. the hotel industry yeah. now. And he was yeah. like, oh, no, but there's something a bit more special about, you know, like grinding through and then hitting that 50 mark and then being like, what What am I doing with my life? I'm then doing yeah. what you actually yeah. want to do. And it's it's weird because... It's interesting. That's what makes the Instagram yeah, magazine like, article you know story. Already. I broke yeah. out at 50 of the That city. you don't want to do it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but, you know, that's what people do. They, you know, grind through life. Yeah. They go through it. Yeah. And then they do what they want to do. And it was like, that's normal, no? That's what, oh, that's what we do. But I feel like it's the whole thing where even though you're saying that, like, it's a really good thing that people at a young age are figuring out what they want to do. It's also super pressuring because now that it's not the norm to just go to school, I have friends that are stressing out. That's like, I need to start a startup. I need to do this. I need to do this. Like, I'm 20. I think that it's really hard because I have, like, from experience, I have people very close to me that have done it all by 22, 23, retired at 25, and now they're like... What do they do? They're like, I followed my dreams. And then it's, I think everyone hits that point where you realize you can be living the dream life, but the sad reality is you're going to hit that point one day when you're like, okay, what you, yeah, what's next? Yeah, what's and I think next? that it's really hard. And I think that that's why I kind of do admire the like nine to five grind where it's like you did this, you saved up. And then once you got comfortable, you sort of dabbled into something and did that. Even though it's really great that kids are doing things at a younger age, you also need to realize that it's also okay to not do it at a younger age. For example, Warren Buffett made like 99% of his wealth after 50. Like right, the guy right. from McDonald's became wealthy after 50. Absolutely. Like I think that like, obviously I say this, but then I'm being hypocritical because I'm the one that's like, I'm going to do everything at like 14. Yeah. I like registered a company at 14. <laughs> and then I registered another one at 16, registered one. So I think like it's hard for me to say, but I think that I do admire the people that are like, I'm just going to take life as yeah. it is. Well, and it's like Natalie Massonet as well. You know, she did every job under the sun. Then, you know, she was with child and was like, oh, actually, no, I think this, I think Netta Porter might be a good yeah. idea. I yeah. think yeah. I could yeah. do this. And, yeah. and she's lived life and then she's made this massive empire right. and you know and then she moves on and does what she wants to do with her life now Absolutely. but again it's like as you said it's yeah. people who kind of have done that they've they've lived beforehand and they've kind yeah. of enjoyed things and then they've kind of gotten down to the grind right. and been like okay now it's time to be serious which is because like you said Matthew it's <laughs> like there's so much pressure now to be successful ASAP mm-hmm. you yeah. know it's yeah. like because you have all these opportunities because nothing is laid out for you now you now need to choose what you want to do and then do it and get to that success point as quick as possible because other people are doing it and And it's it's almost like a different form of the rat race i mean it's funny because it's like our generation has has tried so hard to not be that nine to five grind but we've ended up in the exact same situation if anything more pressurizing because and i think that's where the identity and the whole sort of trying to create this that's the importance because yeah. we're all striving towards that or mm. at least your generation yeah and we want that 
now there's this instant gratification for it so we'll do anything and I think that whole instant gratification that's another point it's like so much in life we do for like for instant gratification I mean things like even like with social media and like Instagram you do it people get addicted to it for instant gratification because it's all now and it's all like present and I think it's it's hard because sometimes it um, the older generation complain that what I know the older generation I know complain that oh, it's yeah. like they feel like younger people aren't in it for the long haul. Yeah, you know, obviously divorce yeah. rates have gone up, and I feel like maybe that's why I don't want to say obviously that all young people are like this, but sometimes you do get the feeling that because there's like been a shift. I'm going to say the word politics. Mm-hmm. There's been a shift, and people feel like they're <laughs> out of control of their lives and what's going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. People just get on the streets and protest about stuff yeah. they don't even know about. Like I've yeah. said to you, it's. Like when we've looked at the numbers of people that have associated themselves to certain things. I think the Women's March in America, I'm sorry, I'm going to say that one. I really don't honestly believe all the people in yeah. that march mm-hmm. were fully dedicated to me. that cause. Yeah. But again, I don't think they were. They just want to protest. They want to have a yeah. scream. It's associating yeah. with that group. Yeah, because, they are. You know, that's I think they just wanted they want to, to, I guess, just want to do that. It's like as much as everybody, it's kind of ironic because as much as you had figures there, like, you know, Madonna that were breaking so social norms and all of that yeah. you've then got hundreds of people that are craving to be part of yeah. something yeah. as much as people want to be able to do what they want to do mm-hmm. and follow their innate sense of direction it's a scary idea following that road when you realize you might be the only one on it for a while mm-hmm. yeah. people want to come back to a group like i said i think sometimes people feel like something's wrong in the world and you can't quite put your finger on it and it you know it's affecting your life and mm-hmm. so you're just going to have a rant on twitter or you're going to join a protest mm-hmm. because you can't make the change that you want to see mm-hmm. you don't and i feel like that was what you were talking about saying that that's where protest comes from it's people that don't have the job not everybody's a freaking senator or an yeah. MP yeah. Yeah. do you know yeah. what else can you do yeah. Yeah. when you feel yeah. like there's something wrong but yeah but absolutely absolutely 